Today, it feels like um, a kid turned loose in a candy store. <laughs> pretty excited, pretty excited uh, for our worship and to see our worship um, team here today that are, are, are ready to prepare, uh, practice and prepare for our service. Uh, they're going to do the cleaning and, and doing so much work for us, and today they're going to practice those things and have been, and we're thankful that you are here today. We praise God for your your presence, your attendance, and again, it's just exciting. It's exciting to know what uh, what's approaching, uh, and it's exciting to know that um, God, regardless of what goes on in life, is still sitting on the throne, and we're thankful for that this morning, the throne room of God. Let's go to God in prayer, please. A magnificent and most holy and precious God in heaven. Hallowed be your great and amazing name. We praise you. We love you. We thank you, Lord God. For one day we will be with you. And no longer down here having to fight against the schemes of Satan. No longer down here fighting against the temptations of our own heart. The desires of our own heart that we're fighting against. But one day, Lord God, we'll be with you and in your presence. And with you forever and ever. And help us, Lord God, to keep our focus. To have that desire to be with you. To be with you, Lord God, through eternity. Help us, Lord God, to live our lives in, in this life, uh, understanding your word, Lord God, that while on the earth, in Ephesians 2, we're seated with you uh, in heaven. Help us, Lord God, to keep our focus. This morning as we worship you to remember Jesus, your great son, who died on that cruel, cruel cross of Calvary so willingly that we might live, who sacrificed his life for our souls, for our salvation's sake. Thank you, Lord God, for all that you've done and for all that you do. In Jesus' wonderful, magnificent, most awesome, holy, and precious name, we do pray and give thee thanks. For be thy will. Amen. I'm also excited this morning because of the throne room. Revelation chapter 4 is where we're going this morning. The throne room of God. Now, maybe we don't understand uh, the, the greatness of thrones and kings and, and queens as, as they did once as living uh, on the earth. And that great authority that a king uh, would have. When approaching a king, there's this certain etiquette you have to, uh, have to have. But going before the king, you, you might face death. And going before the king, you might face a promotion. And oftentimes you didn't know which one of the two. But going before the throne of, of Caesar was scary. Or any king. And Caesar worship was so prevalent and so powerful back in those days. And idolatry, idolatry was was so so worshipped, if you will, and they and they emphasized when you approach a throne, you come there with severe and tremendous, also extreme reverence. So God does something for us because in the seven churches of Asia Minor, you find that uh, most of those congregations struggled. They'd given in. They'd lost their hope. They had forgotten. They had they had lost their first love. They had. They had moved in the direction of worldliness. And church, here's what happens in our lives. When we lose our focus, we move into the direction of worldliness. And when we move into the direction of worldliness, God wants to shake us up and bring us back to the reality. So this morning, we're going to talk about the reality. We're going to talk about the throne room of God. The only true throne. The one throne that exists and has always existed and will exist forevermore. So Revelation chapter 2 and and chapter 3 have given us a great amount of historical background and context and a look at both Roman and 
Greek culture. And also it has given us an understanding of how this culture has influenced the Church of Christ early, early in its day, in its beginning. I want to look, if you will, at Revelation chapter 4 and verse 1. The Bible says, After these things I looked, and behold, a door standing open in heaven. And the first voice which I had heard, like the sound of a trumpet speaking with me, said, Come up here, and I will show you what must take place after these things. Now that Jesus has spoken to the seven congregations and he, he speaks to Philadelphia and he says, I'm opening a door for you. But that was on earth. But here in chapter 4, there's another door open. And it's not the door to Philadelphia, but rather the door into heaven. And he says to John, John, in a message clearly understood, he says, come here. And that's important. See, we serve a God who speaks, a God who's alive. Not idolatrous gods, not a God of idolatry and wickedness, but we serve the living God. And so again, in verse 1, it says, After these things I looked, and behold, a door standing open in heaven. And the first voice which I heard, like the sound of a trumpet speaking with me, said, Come up here, and I will show you what must take place after these things. Now, it's important when he says, I'm going to show you what must take place after these things, there is this time element that we have to keep before us so that we don't lose control, right, in studying the book of Revelation. Remember Revelation chapter 1, uh, verse 1, the revelation of Jesus Christ, which God gave him to show his bondservants the things which must shortly take place. And he sent and communicated it by his angel to his bondservant, John, things that must soon, shortly take place. Verse 3. Blessed is he who reads and those who hear the words of the prophecy and heed the things which are written in it, for the time is near. So remember, even the close of the book, Revelation 22, verse 6, verse 7, verse 10, and I think verse 22 as well, he says, or verse 20, uh, things that must shortly take place, quickly take place. The time is near. The time is at hand. So all these statements are repeated to keep us on track and out of the maze of confusion that many find themselves in when reading the book. So now this is what happens. Our attention shifts. Our attention now shifts and is riveted to this amazing throne scene in heaven. I was so excited, you know, in studying. I, I love the Bible, right? I just love everything about it. I love God. And I'm just so excited. This, this, you know, um, I was thinking about this sermon and, and you pray about it and you, you know, always working your sermon out and you're thinking about it and you're meditating on it. You're praying about it. And, and so this morning I get up and I'm, and I'm praying and I'm like, Oh, the throne room of God. Man, I felt good this morning. I feel good this morning right now. I could stop right now and be all right. Right? I was so excited because the prayers of the saints go up to the throne of God. And, and so in Revelation 4 and verse 2, uh, there the Bible says, Immediately I was in the Spirit, and behold, a throne was standing in heaven, and one sitting on the throne. Now, th- there are about 17 times in chapter 4 and chapter 5 that the throne room, the throne is mentioned. It is not Caesar Domitian's throne. But rather, it's the only true throne, the throne of the sovereign God. And from this throne, from this throne room, the Godhead will bring the seven sealed scroll, the seven 
trumpets, the seven signs, the seven bowls of God's wrath poured out on humanity because of all the wickedness that has been going on. And in verse 3, we get this image of the brightness and the bright glory of this throne. When you look up to the throne room and you look to the one seated on the throne, there is this amazing brightness. Verse 3. And he was, who was sitting, was like a jasper stone and a sardis in appearance. And there was a rainbow around the throne, like an emerald in appearance. And, and I was thinking about this passage and I said, Lord, when I think about the angels, because you gave us, you, you made the angels and you've given us so much information about angels. And I, and I go back to the tomb and it was empty. And there was an angel. And when the guards looked at the angel who rolled the stone away, the Bible says that he was shining like lightning. And the guards were like dead men and shook, trembling in fear. And then I think about the fact that that was just an angel. You created that angel. And now when we look into the throne room and we see God sitting on the throne, God wants us to get the image and the picture of the power that is there. And then somewhere within that throne is a rainbow. And the rainbow takes us all the way back to Genesis chapter 9. Well, God promised the earth that he would never, he would never, the earth and mankind, he promised, I will never send the flood waters like this again upon the earth. It has never happened again. And so we're reminded that God is not only a promise keeper, but God is a covenant keeper. And he never breaks his covenant and he never breaks his promise. And there is a promise for God's faithful saints to go to this place in the heavenlies, to be with God forever. Don't you want to get there? You see, this is so exciting. God is putting everything back into perspective. Although all the temptations and all the trials and, and all of the, the suffering and the martyrdom and things that were going on in that time, you put life back into perspective and you realize that we serve an incredible God who is in complete and total control. Chapter 4, verse 4, describes... The great sounds of thunder. An appearance, verse 4. And around the throne, there were 24 thrones. And upon the thrones, I saw 24 elders sitting, clothed in white garments and golden crowns on their heads. Now here's something we know about kings. Kings never surrounded their throne with another throne. Unless they were in complete and total control. So you would find a king would have his throne and next to him he would have the queen. But he was in complete and total control. God surrounds his throne with 24 thrones. 24 thrones. Which shows you that God is in complete and total, absolute power and control. Complete organized religion. And I love the fact that when you think about Revelation chapter 4, you're looking at the old and the new combined, totally, all of God's people. You're looking at the angelic realm, all that it possesses. You're looking at the overcomers joined together. You're looking at, at brethren from today, even past to Adam, from Adam forward to this man and the last man that lives 
on the face of the earth. You're looking at the overcomers, those who gained the great victory of God. These are the ones, Revelation chapter 12, please. These are the ones who are not hurt by the second death. These are the ones who receive the reward from God. These are the ones who rule with God. These are the ones who have their names written in the book of life. These are our brethren. These are our brethren from, again, Adam all the way forward. These are the ones who receive the white garments. These are the ones who are made a pillar and receive the heavenly blessings and the heavenly things. Revelation 12, verse 10, the Bible says, And I heard a loud voice in heaven saying, Now the salvation and the power and the kingdom of our God and the authority of his Christ have come. For the accuser of our brethren has been thrown down, who accuses them before our God day and night. And they overcame him because of the the Lamb and because of the word of their testimony. And they did not love their life even to death. Revelation chapter 7. Revelation chapter 7. These are the innumerable saints joined together in this heavenly place. Verse 9, the Bible says, And after these things I looked, and behold, a great multitude which no one could count, from every nation and all tribes and peoples and tongues, standing before the throne and before the Lamb, clothed in white robes and palm branches were in their hands. And they cry out with a loud voice, saying, Salvation to our God who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. And all the angels were standing around the throne and around the elders and the four living creatures. And they fell on their faces before the throne and worshipped God, saying, Amen. Blessing and glory and wisdom and thanksgiving and honor and power and might be to our God forever and ever. Amen. And? One of the elders answered, saying to me, These who are clothed in white robes, who are they? From where have they come? And I said to him, My Lord, you know. And he said to me, These are the ones who come out of the great tribulation, and they have washed their robes and made them white in the blood of the Lamb. You see, because of the blood of Jesus Christ, brethren, that we win. They have washed their filthy robes from Adam forward in the blood of Jesus Christ. Brethren, you got to keep life in perspective. And if life is not kept in a perspective, then we'll find ourselves uh, wishy-washy. Last week's lesson, right? We'll find ourselves on the fence. You know, Paul, Revelation, uh, uh, Philippians chapter 1. Paul, who who has had this vision, somewhere in the third heaven, he said, and he saw things that were unspeakable, and he heard words that were unspeakable. And because of all of that, that Paul had gone through, he writes to the, the church at Philippi, and he says, uh, church, look, you see... You, you haven't seen what I've seen, and, and, and you don't know what I know. And I'm not trying to brag or boast, but let me just tell you something. Verse 21, he says, For to me to live is Christ, and to die is gain. He says, you know, I mean, I'm, I'm glad to be here serving the Lord and everything, but I'm telling you right now, I'm looking forward to what's about to come. And he goes on in verse 22, But if I am to live on in the flesh, 
This will mean fruitful labor for me. And I do not know which to choose. But I'm hard pressed from both directions having the desire to depart and be with Christ. For that is very much better. Yet to remain on the flesh is more necessary for your sake. Paul is saying in essence, I can't wait to get there. Church, that's putting life in the proper perspective. That this life right here, remember, we're just kind of, we're just passing through. Back to Revelation chapter 4. We're passing through this place and we're going to stand before our great God and our great God. We can't wait to hear him say, by mercy and grace, well done, you good and faithful servant. Right? And it's by the blood of Jesus Christ. It is through the blood of the Lamb. And here we are standing before this majestic God in Revelation chapter 4, full of wisdom. This, this throne room is heavily guarded. The, the angels see all things. God sees all things and possesses absolute and unlimited power. And that's the message God wants us to get in Revelation chapter 4. Verse 4. Revelation 4, verse 4. And around the throne, there were 24 thrones. And upon the thrones, I saw 24 elders sitting, clothed in white garments and golden crowns on their heads. And from the throne proceeded flashes of lightning and sounds and peals of thunder. And there were seven lamps of fire burning before the throne, which are the seven spirits of God. Turn back to Exodus chapter 19. God calls lightning when he desires. The Bible tells us that in the book of Job. God himself says that. But here's what Jesus does. He takes the reader back. That's what Revelation is all about. It's about about a a book of the present and the the future, but, but based on the past. He takes the reader back. So do you remember the day I gave the law of Moses? Do you remember how the mountains quaked? Do you remember what you saw? And here the reader looks back and remembers what the ancestors have talked about for years and years and years. And in chapter 19 of Exodus and verse 16, the Bible says, So it came about on the third day when it was morning, that there were thunder and lightning flashes and a thick cloud upon the mountain and a very loud trumpet sound so that all the people who were in the camp trembled. And Moses brought the people out of the camp to meet God. And they stood up at the feet of the mountain. Now, Mount Sinai was all in smoke because the Lord descended upon it in fire. And its smoke ascended like the smoke of a furnace. And the whole mountain quaked violently. And when the sound of the trumpet grew louder and louder, Moses spoke and God answered him with thunder. Now imagine being there on that day. And then imagine standing before Caesar. There's no comparison. Imagine standing before the throne of God in the heavenlies. And then imagine standing before Caesar. The Bible says that they trembled and were in great fear. And God prepared them to meet him before he gave the law. Now, chapter 20, after he had given the law, and verse 18, And all the people perceived the thunder and the lightning flashes and the sound of the trumpet and the mountain smoking. And when the people saw it, they trembled and stood at a distance. Then they said to Moses, Speak to us yourself, 
and we will listen. But let not God speak to us lest we die. And Moses said to the people, do not be afraid for God has come in order to test you and in order that the fear of him may remain with you so that you may not sin. And from the throne of God, there's justice and mercy. You see, you don't have to fear if you haven't done anything wrong. But you go before Caesar, it doesn't matter if you've done right or wrong, ask Jesus. They'll put you to death. But before God, there is mercy and there is blessing and there is true power. Back to Revelation, please, chapter 4. It's important, it's imperative that we get the image, the picture that God is trying to display before us so that we can keep life in the proper perspective. It is true that we are just passing through this land, journeying on to our heavenly home to be with God forever and forever. Back again at verse 4, please. I just want you to get the context. And around the throne were 24 thrones, and upon the throne I saw 24 elders sitting clothed in white garments and golden crowns on their heads. And from the throne proceeded flashes of lightning and sounds and peals of thunder, and there were seven lamps of fire burning before the throne, which are the seven spirits of God. And before the throne there was, as it were, a sea of glass like crystal, and in the center and around the throne four living creatures full of eyes in front and behind. And the first creature was like a lion, and the second creature like a calf, and the third creature had a face like that of a man, and the fourth creature was like a flying eagle. And the four living creatures, each one of them having six wings, are full of eyes around and within, and day and night they do not cease to say, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty, who was and who is and who is to come. Turn back to Ezekiel chapter 1. You, you might say, well, you know, God is, uh, is, is telling them this so they would understand, you know, in their current persecution, and then, you know, this is what Jesus has just become. Oh, this is what the throne room has just become. Brethren, God has been trying to relay this message to his people from the very beginning of time. That God is in complete and total control. It is God who commissioned the Babylonians and called them to go and destroy the world, to rule and to reign. Ezekiel was given this commission in 592 B.C. And he speaks also of Nebuchadnezzar. And it wasn't Nebuchadnezzar who was in charge. It's God who has been in complete and total control. And he tried to tell that message or convey that message to Israel, to Judah. Listen to chapter 1 of Ezekiel, verse 4. And I looked, and behold, a storm wind was coming from the north, a great cloud with fla- uh, fire flashes forth continually, and a bright light around it, and in its midst something like glowing metal in the midst of the fire. And within it there were figures resembling four living beings, and this was their appearance. They had human form. Each of them had four faces and four wings. And their legs were straight, and their feet were like a calf's hoof, and they gleamed like burnished bronze. Under their wings and on their four sides were human hands, as for the faces of the wings of the four of them, their wings touched one another. Their faces did not turn 
when they moved, each went straight forward. And as for the form of their faces, each had the face of a man. And all four had the face of a lion on the right and the face of a bull on the left. And all four had the face of an eagle. Such were their faces. Their wings were spread out above. Each had two touching another, being and touching, or excuse me, and two covering their bodies. If you, if you saw, <laughs> you're afraid of who, Caesar? Let, I was going to show you one of the angels. If you saw one of these angels, you see life has to be in its proper perspective. Turn back to Isaiah, please. Chapter, chapter 6. Chapter 6. Now, the, the faces are important because the faces represent something. The lion, the, the king of the jungle, right? The mightiest of the wild uh, beasts of the field. The oxen is the strongest uh, domesticated uh, of all the animals. And, and the eagle, the eagle is like the king of, of all the sky, if you will, of the birds of the sky. And then man, the highest of all the creation that God has given to us. And these living creatures are alert, alive, praising God, worshiping God, powerful and ready. And they stand before the throne of God. In Isaiah chapter 6, beginning in verse 1, In the year of King Isaiah's death, I saw the Lord sitting on a throne, lofty and exalted with the train of his robe filling the temple. Seraphim stood above him, each having six wings. With two he covered his face, and with two he covered his feet, and with two he flew. And one called out to another and said, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. So, the worship of the Creator. God sent Saigon. God sent the uh, Assyrians. God is in control. Perspective. Someone says, well, well, preacher, um, when I I turn to Matthew chapter 26, and I want you to go there. When I I turn to Matthew chapter 26, um, I see a different image. See, because people in the world today are saying to us, you know, you, you serve Jesus and and Jesus, if he if he was God, they, they couldn't have killed him. And 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 you you say, you say to me, you know, I'm I, sometimes I fear I fear my friends when I want to talk to them about Jesus. I fear my friends because I'm afraid I'm going. I'm afraid of what's going to happen. Or, or you might be afraid of the king, and you're afraid to tell the king what thus saith the Lord. And God says you got to put this back in the proper perspective. Because if you go back to the judgment scene, and you go back to Jesus Christ, and you go back to what happened at the cross, I want you to put it all in perspective from the throne room of God. Watch this. Matthew chapter 26 and verse 50. The Bible says, And Jesus said to him, Friend, speaking to Judas, Do what you have come for. Then they came and laid hands on Jesus and seized him. And behold, one of those who were with Jesus reached and drew out his sword and struck the slave of the high priest and cut off his ear. Then Jesus said to him, put your sword back into its place, for all those who take up the sword shall perish by the sword. Or do you think that I cannot appeal to my father and he will at once put at my disposal more than 12 legions of angels? So Jesus says, you do realize that I am in complete 
and total control, even at this moment. Now, a, a, a legion is represented by a, Roman, a group of Roman soldiers and that number is about 6,200. Keep that number there for just a second. When you go back to uh, uh, the book of Kings and you, and you look at, at chapter, um, uh, chapter 19, you, you find that this is Second Kings, that when, when the Assyrians came to destroy Hezekiah and Judah, uh, you find that um, one angel, one angel killed 185,000 Assyrians that day, that night. Jesus said, one legion is 6,200. Now I can call over 12 legions. And if we just took the number 12, that'd be 74,000 of these angels we're talking about. And if one angel could kill 185,000, do you realize when you do the math that 74,000 angels can kill 13,690,000,000 humans without a single loss? Who's in control? <laughs> right? I mean, you know, Peter pulled out a sword. Jesus said, wait, you don't realize I have this uncomplete control. God is in complete control. We have nothing to fear. Don't fear Rome, speaking to the early church. Don't fear Rome, fear God. Don't fear your friends, fear God. Don't worry about the pandemic, fear God. Don't worry about your Christian friends, fear God. We will stand before God and sit before God in His bright beauty in the throne room of God. And we will be able to stand there. And right now our prayers go up to that throne room of God. And he answers our prayers. Don't you trust him? Who's going to stop him? No one and nothing. Keeping it in perspective. Philippians, please. Chapter 2. Keeping life in the proper perspective. Remembering who we are. Remembering whom the God that we serve truly is. The picture that God is trying to give us. The image that God is trying to give us is this. They may take your physical life but they can never touch your soul, right? Isn't it beautiful, right? It's a beautiful picture. And this is the book. This is the answer that God gave to the church who thought that they were losing. You can't lose with God. Philippians 2, Jesus, verse 9, the Bible says, Therefore also God highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name which is above every name. That the knee of Jesus, every knee should bow of those who are in heaven and on earth and under the earth. And that every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. And then back to Revelation chapter 4, please. When we talk to our friends and we try to persuade them gently about everlasting life. Brethren, the message is clear. We try to save our our friends, our family, before it's everlasting too late. And those many may say, I refuse to bow down to God. Realize that God makes it very clear, crystal clear, that every human being will bow down to Jesus. Every one of us. And if you can imagine standing before that throne and seeing that throne room, there is no way that any human being would ever dare to stare 
but rather we'd all bow our heads and on our knees and on our faces. And when you pray, I want you to see yourself in all your prayers going up to the throne room of God and God listening from heaven to you, to me. Thank you, God. And the final picture, beginning at verse 8, the final picture, and the four living creatures, those angels, each one of them having six wings, are full of eyes around and within, and day and night they did not cease to say, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God, the Almighty, who was and who is, and who is to come. And when the living creatures give glory and honor and thanks to Him who sits on the throne, to Him who lives forever and ever, the 24 elders will fall down before Him who sits on the throne and will worship Him who lives forever and ever and will cast their crowns before the throne, saying, Worthy art Thou, our Lord and our God, to receive glory and honor and power. For Thou didst create all things, and because of Thy will, they existed and were created. We're going to close in one verse in Psalm 47. From an earthly standpoint, church, it may look like, it may appear as though um, God's not in control. And you'll even hear, even Christians uttering the thought, saying, if God is in control, then why? You see, it's because you don't, you don't get it. We, we, maybe we've all been there at one time in our lives where we just, we just, have, we just didn't get it. And I just, well, you know, if God's in control, then, brethren, don't ever think for just a moment that God is not in absolute, total, and complete control. God reigns. God rules over all. When I go in that plane, I don't think about that pilot. I think about God. Because that pilot is not in control. When I'm behind the driver's seat of my car, I don't think about how good I am. I think about God. Because God is in complete and total control. And when that day comes where we will stand before our God, the question will not be, God, why did you? The question will be, God, I praise you. And I'm so thankful. What do you see in me? Thank you, God. This morning, brother, if you can keep it in the proper perspective, that God is in complete and total control. And we've got to give it to God. Give it all to God. And this morning, this morning, maybe you're not a Christian. Don't wait before it's too late. Don't wait until it's too late. Give your life to God today. Surrendering to Him in the waters of baptism, having heard His word and believed it, finding repentance in your heart, godly sorrow, confessing His name before men, being baptized, immersed in water, let the old man die and the new man be raised up, receiving the gift of the Holy Spirit, walking with Jesus forevermore, added to the church of Christ and living with Jesus forevermore until the end. And if you're a member of the body of Christ, you're struggling in your faith, we encourage you to come to the Lord, repent, give your life over to God. And Psalm 47, 
verse 6. The Bible says, Sing praises to God. Sing praises. Sing praises to our King. Sing praises for God is the King of all the earth. Sing praises with skillful song. God reigns over the nations. God sits on His holy throne. The princes of the people have assembled themselves as the people of the God of Abraham. For the shields of the earth belong to God. He is highly exalted. Is God exalted in your mind and in your life? I pray that He is. Let's give God all the glory, all the praise, and all the honor and glory. The lesson is yours. God bless you, each and every one.